We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. He throws back shoulder, Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Managing Editor Derek C. Paul with another edition of the Rams Talk Radio podcast. Well... I'm alone today, folks. I'm the lone wolf. The other guys have work to do, and I guess I'm the one who didn't have work to do, so we're here. But we have two great interviews as we're getting close and closer and closer and closer to wrapping up this wonderful tour in the league we've done. Today, we have Joe Malfa 
from TurnOnTheJets.com and Dennis Walsh from Keep Pounding Podcast. Joe will break down the rather active New York Jets offseason. Then we'll check in with Dennis to see what the Panthers have done to address their roster needs and free agency in the draft. But before we go, hey, I cannot, cannot ignore the wonderful sponsor we have who helps make this show possible. It's summertime in SoCal which means sun, hot weather, visits to the pool. Well, if you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering and Modeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering and Modeling serves Orange County and the Southland are run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built his business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. You don't believe me? Head on over to jayhawkpools.com and take a look at their work. You can see their quality and their finishes, the testimonies they have provided from other customers in the past that are all there. If you're looking to model, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. You can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com. Folks, it's a great opportunity to support our podcast and help fellow members of the Rams family. If you live out in that area, give Jayhawk Pool Plaster a call. You'll be glad you did. Okay, don't forget, folks, to help keep the lights on here. We're not asking for cash. We are just wanting your support. Head on over to iTunes. That five-star review would be just, it's, it's really big for us. It helps with the charts. It helps uh, publicize us, get us more on the air for folks. You can subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android Player, FM. Don't forget, if you're an online radio listener, iebeatradio.com airs our show Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Folks, we're not asking for money. Um, We're just asking for your support to hopefully attract more people who want to invest in us. And we don't have to ask you personally to do it. It just means more to us um, that you just tune in and, and give us your time. Okay, without further ado... Here's Joe Malfa from TurnTheJets.com. All right, so first on today's show is Joe Malfa from Turn on the Jets. Joe, welcome to the show, and how are you today? Uh, thank you, man. It's good to good to branch out and get some West Coast pod talk on with the Rams. I'm doing I'm doing well this afternoon, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's been a fun off season for the Jets, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it now. And it's it's just been good all around. I'm happy right now in the aftermath of drafting Sam Darnold. All things I'm sure we'll get to. But how are you doing today? You know, we're living the dream. This, this I got to be honest, this, this tour around the league where we've been talking to all the different uh, podcasters and journalists has been a lot of fun, a lot of information. And, and it's been really, really interesting actually seeing these different points of views at a local level and not so much at a national level. We, we get this fed this national mer- this sorry national narrative on how teams are and the Cowboys and Jets and, and the Giants and what they're doing. And then you actually talk to the guys who are on the ground yeah. and close to the team, and you get this whole new perspective. So it's been a really – cool series that we've been doing and I'm hoping that our our listeners are enjoying it before we dive into it just quick question so far I guess from who you've talked to this is something I've always been kind of interested in who's been the most optimistic versus who's been the most pessimistic about their team oh of the folks we've talked to let me look at my sheet here and give you a little bit of reference of the folks you talked to believe it or not the most pessimistic that we've had thus far is when we talked to the 49ers. Uh, that's interesting. Five straight yeah. wins to end the season with Garoppolo at quarterback, and they're the most pessimistic. That's an interesting one. Well, I mean, for the most part, folks have been pretty upbeat all around, which is kind of funny because 
everybody's thinking saying eight and eight or above, and no one's thinking we're, we're going to be four and twelve or three and thirteen. Uh-huh. But when we talk to the uh, the Forty Niners uh, from Forty Niners Hub, Kevin Molina, we talked. He's one of our first ones who did the tour, and everybody's kind of saying the Forty Niners are going to be great this year. They're going to be outstanding. They're going to you know challenge the Rams, and he's like, uh, no, uh, they're a year away. <laughs> I'm thinking eight and eight. They might challenge for something, but the schedule's too hard. I mean, it was, and I really actually, I mean, I appreciate his honesty with that because a lot, oh, yeah. of, I mean, a lot of folks have been saying, you know, 49ers, 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 and I'm actually more in line of thinking, eh, you're being a little too hard on them. I think the 49ers <laughs> probably 10 and 6, but, you know, I, I he's like uh, 8 and 8. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, what? especially after the, the closeout to their season, and I mean, not that they've done anything seismic in the offseason, but... Obviously, they're just going to get better as Garoppolo continues to play. So to say eight and eight, considering they went five and zero down the stretch with him at starter, is kind of surprising. I thought they'd be maybe a little bit more upbeat and say something to the effect of nine and seven or ten and six. But at the end of the day, it's better to be realistic. No matter no matter how upbeat you are, I guess it's better to set your expectations at a more realistic level. And if you surpass them, you surpass them. If not, I guess you're not too disappointed then at the end. Pretty much, and that's just kind of well. Uh... Uh, I don't, I'm not I'm not too sold on Garoppolo. Everybody's like he's gonna be superstar, he's gonna be superstar. Well, he fa- he played five games, they played well for him, but now you're gonna have one of the toughest schedule in the league next year. Exactly. So I guess I can see why Kevin would be a little bit, you know. Yeah, there needs uh, to be a little bit of brake pumping on the Garoppolo. As good as I think he is and will be, it, it, he started five games in a night. Started five games, yeah, and they don't exactly have the superstar ro- roster of no. of playmakers there. They're starting to get those guys in there, but they're getting there. Yeah. All right, so, Joe, let's talk about the Jets, though. Let's talk about them. Uh, the Jets, they did something a little different. A lot of teams have n- don't do this. They they wait until draft day before making their move to go up and try and get their quarterback. And with the Jets did what the Rams did before. They, they moved up early. They, they let people know. They settled their intentions on taking quarterback long before the draft. They gave the Colts a pretty sweet deal in the process. I thought it was pretty sweet. So are they happy with who they got? And what about the rumors that they wanted Baker Mayfield? If anybody hasn't taken a look at it, and if you're not a Jets fan, there's no reason for you to have ever taken a look at it so far. But I will strongly suggest going and take a look at Albert Breer's article for Monday Morning Quarterback. I think he put it out uh, about a week or two ago now. Uh, it was just kind of a, an in-depth look. He, he, he traveled around with the Jets for, I think, uh, a couple weeks or whatever the case was and just talked to McCagney and Bowles, scouts, this and that. And basically got the whole picture painted on how the whole Sam Darnold thing came to fruition. And it you know, it went all the way back as far as like the first time that their area scout in L.A. heard about him when he was on the practice squad in 2015. So it was a great deep dive, and it basically summed up everything you put together in this question. So first of all, they, the thing that Breer made clear is, uh, this is coming from Jets management, they were, and they were completely content on three quarterbacks, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. They did not care who they got of those three. Probably, personally, they had somebody who they had ranked higher than the others, um, and they really, really wanted whatever the case was. They were content with those three. Uh, And they knew as soon as they missed out on Kirk Cousins that they were trying to trade up to three with the Colts. They had a great relationship. There's a lot of – you have to go back and look. It's too much to lay out right now. I don't want to take up the whole time slot. But there's a lot of connections between the Jets front office and the Colts front office. Very good relationship. They were able to keep it quiet. Keep the deal fair for both sides. Maybe the Jets overpaid a little bit on the uh, you know the, the whole draft pick point chart thing, but they were able to keep it quiet and they got up to number three 
uh, before the draft, which is what I think, like you mentioned, you know, the Rams did it, the Eagles did it. Things are trending that way where teams, I think, are starting to realize, like, hey, why am I going to wait till draft night and pay an arm and a leg when if I'm confident enough, I could just get out in front of this thing and set the market? Uh, and that's what the Jets did. They were confident in their assessment of those three quarterbacks. They were confident in trading up to three, knowing that even if quarterbacks went one and two, Simple math tells you, I'm not a mathematician, but if you're picking number three and you like three quarterbacks, you're getting one of the three quarterbacks. Uh, and it just so happened that they end up with Sam Darnold. And, you know, you get the sense from reading that article by Breer, despite that the Jets say they they were content with all three, they were giddy when they were able to get Darnold. I think Breer described it, the scene in the draft room as McCagnan was just kind of sitting there with his jaw on the floor like, the Browns really took Mayfield, and wow, the Giants also actually passed on Darnold, and we're going to get him. So uh, it seemed like he was the guy they wanted, and, and you know, it's the third time now in, in four drafts that McCagnan has had the best guy on the board for the Jets fall to him where he was picking. Uh, in his first draft, Leonard Williams regarded as the number one player in the draft. They get him at six. His second draft. Uh, no, excuse me. Second draft was the exception. They were picking 20 when they got Darren Lee. His third draft, they were picking sixth. Uh, and Jamal Adams falls all the way there. After there was talk he would go either two to the Niners or then I guess after the Niners made their trade with the Bears, three to the Niners. And then ends up falling all the way to six. You can argue he was the best non-quarterback in the draft. And now this year they go ahead and get who was, you know, probably the consensus number one overall quarterback in the draft, Sam Darnold, where everybody was completely stunned as that came to fruition on draft night when he didn't go to number one to the Browns. So uh, all in all, it was a long road. Uh, it seems like they got their guy. You know, I think Breer's look into it is probably the best look you're going to get. And, and judging based on that, if you haven't looked at it, I just definitely uh, suggest taking a look at it. it. was First of all, it was a great, very well-written article, and it was just a great look inside how this whole thing came to came to fruition. And I think the Jets got their guy. It might have overpaid a little bit, but it's better than what, you know, look, you look at draft night, the Saints gave up next year's first round pick to move from the back of the first round to the middle of the first round to pick a pass rusher. And the Jets were able to keep all their future first round picks uh, and go up and get the quarterback. So all in all, I think it was great for the Jets. Flip side of the Colts, I don't know if you've had their guy on yet or if you're going to have him coming up soon. It was a great deal for the Colts. They have so many holes. Those three second-round picks are going to be three starters for them in, in the near future if they hit on those. So it was a great deal for all parties. Jets got their guy. And there's a lot of excitement, obviously, buzzing around New York. Based on everything you've read and everything you've seen, what did the Jets see in Darnold that convinced them that he was their guy? So now, uh, I guess, i always big on the draft uh, and diving into players and whatnot. And then especially now since I've gotten into college myself, heading into my junior year uh, in the fall at the University of Maryland, I've gotten that much more into college football. So I, I pretty much live and breathe college football as much as I do NFL football. And everything I've seen in Darnold from the time he took over last year, because USC obviously being a big program out in L.A., it's they're always on national TV. They're kind of, at this point, they're, <laughs> I guess the best comp uh, is, is like the, the Lakers or the Knicks in the sense that, you know, they had a few really off years before Darnold really kind of brought them back. Um, but they're still, despite having those few off years, they're always on national TV. So regardless, you know USC is going to be on TV. You see him a lot. And the main things I've always noticed with Darnold, it's just that he's so calm regardless of the situation. And uh, again, you know, in, in that Breer piece, I can't stress enough how great that piece was and how much it really showed you. Uh, he, he highlighted a few examples 
that really stood out to the coaching staff and, and the scouts when they were scouting Darnold. One of them was one of his first games were playing Colorado. This is now two seasons ago. Colorado went on to win their division in the Pac-12, one of the best defenses out in the Pac-12. He fumbles a snap. Uh, well, he fumbles the exchange with the running back, and nine out of ten quarterbacks just dive on that ball, lift to fight another down. He picks it up, scrambles all the way to the left sideline, spins around back to the right sideline, pops it over the defender to his tight end. Tight end does the rest. They score. They go on to win by four. Uh, it's it's just being calm in situations like that where a play goes haywire, he's calm, he makes a play. You fast forward a little bit then to his second season, uh, uh, the comeback against Texas that night. It was like 50 seconds or so on the clock after Texas came down and scored. He orchestrates a drive. Sets them up to win the game. The the Rose Bowl, obviously against let's say Juan Barkley, just a few months prior to that Texas comeback, they blew two 13 point leads at different points of that game, and then late in the game they have to come back against Penn State. Dory Jackson had gotten hurt and he was out of the game, so their defense was lacking and special teams was lacking because they don't have that spark. Darnold just calmly on the sideline. You see him throughout the, the ESPN broadcast. Kept showing him. He's on the phones with with the the coaches upstairs. He's walking around, calmly talking to his teammates, uh, and he goes out and wins the damn thing. So it's just, obviously, look, I mean, you know, there's there's the physical attributes, there's the accuracy, the big arm, his ability to throw on the run. Uh, you know, he's got all the tools you look for and all the numbers you look for in that QB1 in, in an NFL draft. But just, I think the intangibles is what I want to focus on and what seems to be focused on mainly with him is what really sold the Jets on him, just... Uh, he was—he's just always cool as a cucumber. And within that article as well, you know, uh, Breer referenced a couple times that McCagnan made note of where. So his thing is, he always buys a front row ticket to on the home sideline whenever he goes to scout uh, any team, not necessarily just a quarterback, because he likes to see, get a feel for how his teammates respect him on the sideline and how he handles himself. And he just remarked about how he was always in awe of the fact that. Darnold pretty much treats the sideline like a quiet Tom Brady, I think is what he compared it to, where uh, maybe Baker Mayfield's the better comparison to to Brady on the sideline, where Brady's always yelling in these teammates' faces, this and that. Uh, but that's what the cameras show you. What the cameras don't show you sometimes is that Brady's just calmly walking up to players, reassuring them, going over things. And you saw that in Darnold, just focused and, and always looking to get better, do the right thing, keep his teammates into it and, and just, you know, short term memory, next play, get out there. That intangible uh, of just his, his clutchness and his calmness and the fact that he doesn't let anything get to him uh, and his devotion to the game, all those intangibles seem to be put it over the top as far as just getting Darnold. And it was funny, his first day of rookie camp, you know, he, he goes up to the podium with his massive media scrum, obviously his welcome to New York media scrum. And as soon as he gets off the podium and, and away from the cameras, they were kind of positioned near his locker, and the next rookie came up. He sat right back down in his locker, and he's in his playbook. So he, he, that's just how he was in college. Nothing gets to him. Focused on his craft. That's how he already is now. Like I said, seconds after that ended, walked right back to his locker, and his nose is buried in the playbook. And people are coming up, taking pictures, and that not focused on that. He's in that playbook. So the intangibles mostly is I think what sold his jets on him, and couple that with the fact that he's got elite arm talent and able to move me plays and and it's just a perfect package i think me personally as i evaluated quarterbacks coming into this draft i had him one baker mayfield two josh rosen three and i think the jets got lucky that they got the number one guy and the way things played out with the browns uh, falling in love with mayfield and the giants 
doing the asinine thing of taking the running back too, no matter how much I love Barkley and think he's going to be great. Eli Manning's not going to be around forever, and he's already shown signs of decline. So you fix that by drafting a running back who's going to be in the league for eight years before his shelf life ends instead of a quarterback who's going to be in it for 20. But whatever the case is, our crosstown rivals, thank you. And now we will hopefully reap the rewards of the next 20 years, Sam Darnold. Well, how did the Jets fare in the rest of the draft? What were their worst and their best picks? Aside from Darnold, obviously, he's got to be your best pick. You get a quarterback at number three and, and at your centerpiece going forward. Um, a couple of names that stuck out to me, their third-round pick, so their second pick of the draft, uh, Nathan Shepard kind of flew under the radar. A defensive tackle out of Fort Hayes State went the Canadian route, um, D2 route, and, and it's he's an older prospect. He's going to be 25 years old when the season starts. Nobody really talked about him, but he is massive. He stops the run, and he gets after the pass rusher. Uh, gets after the pass rusher. No, he is the pass rusher. Gets after the passer is what I'm trying to say. The perfect comparison to him is just Damon Harrison. Uh, the Jets enjoyed their time with Snacks when he was there not too long ago. Uh, and he was dominant. Now he continues to dominate with the Giants. Shepard strikes me as that same kind of player. Um, you know, he's he's had a long road to the NFL. He got there, and he has all the tools to excel at the next level. And, and you know, look, it's not a a definite, but I always like guys who kind of travel that road less traveled, where it took you a while to get here, you had to fight tooth and nail, and now you're here because that guy, that Damon Harrison, is going to continue to fight and and because he knows how to work for it. Whereas a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson kind of was always the top, you know, top guy, first round pick. Then he got his money from the Jets and he tanked, and now he's in Green Bay and he's a shell of himself. So or an Albert Hainsworth to go back a little bit further. You know, I take the guy like Damon Harrison ten times out of ten over those Wilkerson's or or Albert Hainsworths because you know they're going to continue to work and Shepard has all the talent and he's got that mentality of having to work for everything this whole time puts it together I think it can be a, a starter immediately for this team they need to find somebody consistently to play alongside Leonard Williams uh, who's the face of that defense the quiet face of that defense while Jamal Adams is the uh, I guess the more vocal popularized head while Williams just gets the job done in the trenches need somebody next to Williams I think he could be a star and you know you guys out there with the Rams know it more than anybody it's key to capitalize uh, on your quarterback, your rookie quarterback, on his rookie deal. The knock on Shepard was that he's 25, and maybe you don't have him for as long. Well, first of all, interior linemen, you look around the league, they have long shelf lives. So I'm not worried about him. He's probably still going to have 8 to 10 years, uh, 8 to 10 good years in the league. But he's going to be entering his prime of 27, 28, 29, just as the Jets are nearing the end of that window with Darnold on his rookie deal where they should be contending. So no problem with him being a little bit older. Uh, quickly then beyond that, Chris Herndon, the tight end in the fourth round out of Miami, I think he's a better football player than last year's David Njoku was out of Miami. Njoku, higher ceiling, freak athlete, great receiving, uh, whereas Herndon's more of an all-around guy, can block, can pass, catch, big body. I think he'll slot right in uh, nicely and kind of be like that Austin Safarian Jenkins that the Jets had last year, lost him. They were content on just letting him go because you – know, he, he wanted a bit more money. I guess they had a plan that they were going to go after a tight end in the draft. And Hernan's kind of a, a, a duplicate in, in a way of Safari and Jenkins. So plug him right in. I think, you know, he's going to end up emerging over Jordan Leggett and some of the other guys they have in that tight end room and be a consistent player that Darnold ends up falling in love with because of the way he plays. It's just a good fit. You know, the, the sixth round 
So this is where they had their last three picks of the draft. They had the first, third, fourth, and then three in the sixth. The last pick of the draft, Trenton Cannon, running back out of Virginia State, that was kind of a throwaway. I guess his, you know, he could be a return man, but that's about it. They took another defensive lineman, Fularonzu Fadukasi, out of uh, UConn in the middle of the sixth round. Again, I think that one was more of a flyer. See who pans out. Him versus Nathan Shepard play the same position. I think Shepard is going to blow him out of the water. Uh, but at least then at the end of the day, it gives you depth. Uh, and then another good pick, uh, their sixth of their six picks, was Perry Nickerson from Tulane cornerback and play inside or outside. He flew really under the radar, and he might be, I think, my favorite pick outside of obviously Donald because he can play inside or outside. He's a little bit undersized, has to put some muscle on. But four-year starter at Tulane, four-year all-conference, 16 picks. It, he has the production. He has the technique. He's got the football smarts. He consistently performed at, you know, again, not a top conference, not a top team, but very respectable program and a respectable conference. And, and you know, just week in, week out was their top performer on defense. Um, Pro Football Focus actually had him uh, as, I think, their, I think in their top 75 players towards the back end of that, at least. So they had a third-round grade on them. They just got him in the sixth. And I, I see the talent there. I think he's going to be – uh, an immediate factor in that secondary now with Tremaine Johnson uh, and Mo Claiborne on the outside. I think he could supplant Buster Screen in the slot. If one of those guys on the outside goes down, he's capable of kicking out. I think that was a really good pick they got there uh, as deep as the sixth round. So I guess, you know, least favorite pick, I guess it's kind of an easy one. Round six, pick 30, Trenton Cannon, you're taking a late flyer on a kick returner. Uh, favorite pick outside of Darnold, I would say, is Perry Nickerson. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we'll see how things play out. They drafted need, and between Donald, Shepard, Herndon, Nicker- and Nickerson, those are four guys that could end up as your primary starters or at least playing large chunks of the snaps year one. So it, it's a matter of them panning out and developing, but there's four guys right there who are going to make immediate impact on this team. Most of us who listen to the show, not everybody, because you know, some folks need this for Bobby today, are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams' history with a bit of a personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. As we approach Father's Day, check out his son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elway, Crazy Lakes Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spend the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available in both hardback and electronic format at Amazon and, and Barnes & Noble. Also, it's available through various other booksellers on the internet. Folks, read it. Trust me. It's worth it. If you are a history guy, if you love the lore of Rams history, getting to know these players, check out this story. It's worth every penny. It's not even an expensive book at all. It's also a great story about a father and the legacy he left behind. Again, this is Hollywood's teen grit glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. Okay, so put it all together here. You have a team that made some moves in free agency. You made, uh, you made your move in the draft. Where are the Jets now on paper? How many wins do they have this year? Is it possible they make the playoffs? And can they even, at one point, are they in direction to challenge the Patriots? I think we got ahead a little bit. <laughs> challenge the Patriots. We'll pump the brakes on that one. I don't think anybody's challenging the Patriots as long as one Mr. Brady, comma, Tom is your quarterback. 
Uh, and, and now, granted, that doesn't seem like it's going to last too much longer. He still hasn't reported to OTAs. There's trouble in paradise with him and Belichick and Kraft, and I don't want to read into that too much. I'm sure they'll still come out and win 13 games and make the conference title game and probably the Super Bowl this year anyway, but I don't know how many more years that's going to last. So uh, as far as the Patriots getting challenged, there's still a couple years away for any team in the AFC East, whether it's the Jets, Dolphins, or Bills. Uh, immediately, I usually kind of go pessimistic on the Jets' overall record picks just because that's how I am. And uh, I think it's it's just going to be interesting to see if Darnold plays immediately, uh, how that makes the team shape up. I think at the end of the day, just because it's kind of a weak division outside of the Patriots, give them three and three in the division. They've got some easy matchups then against like the Browns, Colts, Bears, um, Lions, who who should who could be winnable games. I think they'll probably safest bet is probably in that six and ten, seven and nine range. This team last year was legitimately projected to go zero and sixteen or one and fifteen by people around the league, and they come out of it with five wins. And there were plenty of games where they were in it against playoff. Well, they beat three playoff teams, and then they were in it against uh, teams like the Panthers and the Falcons, and blew it late. So you know they have had their fair share uh, of close games last season, and they've busted people's predictions last season when they were much worse than they are this year, especially on paper. So there's no reason to believe they can't win six or seven games. Challenging the Patriots or making the playoffs, I doubt it. But um, you know, look, in the NFL. A couple games end up going your way. You, you flash back to Mark Sanchez's rookie year where they were probably projected to go same 6-10, and 7-9 coming into the year. All of a sudden, you know, the defense plays well. Sanchez is very competent. They get to 9-7, and seven, and luck has it that 9-7 and seven that year is good enough to make the playoffs. And they go on a run. That defense leads them to two wins, and they end up, you know, blowing uh, a halftime lead against the Colts in the AFC title game. So, who knows, but probably 6-10, and 7-9 is the safest bet. All right, last question, I promise. I consider the Jets to be a sleeping giant. I think any team that's in New York City, one of the top media center in the country, carrying that name New York will do that for you. So what the heck? What has historically held the Jets back <laughs> from being elite power? I feel like if we had the answer to that precisely, we probably would have hoisted a couple more Lombardis. But I guess what you point to it. I don't want to punt on this question by saying it's bad luck, this or that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to luck in some aspect. You know, they've they've taken their stabs at quarterbacks throughout the years. And that's, this is going back way before my lifetime with the, you know, the, the Ken O'Briens. And, uh, you know, they have any testaverde in there for a while. Chad Pennington, we're starting to get into my lifetime now at 20 years old. Um, but they, they've had their fair share of guys. You know, they've passed on, on Dan Marino and, and in – Brett Favre was taking a pick ahead of them. So, like, it, it comes down to the quarterback position, as you see so often. I mean, how many times has a, a team won the Super Bowl with a mediocre to average quarterback? Nobody really comes to mind besides the Trent Dilver Ravens. If you don't get that franchise guy, you're not going to be successful. And they haven't had that franchise guy ever. Joe Namath, when the league was much different back then and quarterbacks weren't that prominent, they won a Super Bowl with him. That's about it. The closest thing they've come since then Chad Pennington had a good run. Testaverde had a good run. I mean, I guess those years, 97 to, I guess, 01 were really big years for them, and they could have legitimately threatened for a Super Bowl with Curtis Martin toting the ball. Sanchez put together a couple good years, back-to-back AFC title runs for the Jets, uh, you know, a, a decade ago now. Um, 
but it just comes down to the fact that they have not gotten lucky with with getting a quarterback. Same issue for the Browns, you can almost point to. is, But it's not all luck. I don't want to make it sound like it's all luck because the other part of that issue, that two-pronged issue of not getting a quarterback, is they haven't really had any competent management or coaches. You know, Bill Parcells, the high tide of the Jets for the last 30, 40 years has been when Bill Parcells was running the ship. Outside of that, they haven't had great coaches. They haven't had great, you know, upper level management. And because of that, uh, you know, they haven't really put good teams together that would be good around any quarterback that they got. So it's it's the luck of not having a quarterback and the fact that they didn't have they haven't had any coaches or GMs uh, to to fill the rest of that roster out besides Bill Parcells, and it just hasn't meshed. Like you said, such a big market, you know, at some point <laughs> they had to have put it together, but if you no quarterback, the head of your team is your quarterback and your upper level management and your coach. You cut that head off and your chicken running with its head cut off as an organization. And that's what they've been. No quarterback, don't have that coach, don't have that GM. I think they have the GM in McCagnan. I like the work he's done. Uh, personally, he's missed on, you know, on Hackenberg famously, obviously. Well, every GM uh, makes a mistake. Every, there's no perfect GM exactly. out there. There's no perfect GM out there. He doesn't get enough crap for it. But Bill Belichick has made some terrible picks in, in his duality as coach and GM of the Patriots. So you know, there's no perfect GM out there. McCagnan's had his misses. But in his first year, he came out and he put a 10-6 and six team on the field. And now after that, he's had to construct a rebuild. And his rebuild has led us to the point where you've got a, a blue-chip defensive lineman in Williams, a blue-chip safety um, in, in Jamal Adams, and your star quarterback of the future, hopefully, in Darnold. Couple that with the fact that they're going to have $110 million in spending money next year. He has worked the cap to perfection. He's worked the draft to perfection. Um, so you have that. Hopefully, your quarterback's in place with Darnold. I'm still not sold on Bowles. I don't, the jury's still out on him for me. He's done some things in games that are really stupid. He's kind of vanilla and plain. But at the same token, they went 10-6 and six in his first year. They sucked the next couple years. And this past year, they were supposed to go winless or 1-15 if you look at preseason projections. And he has his team punching above its weight, winning five games, beating three playoff teams, and should have beaten two more, probably three more. Uh, that home gaming as a Patriots, they should have won two if not for that foolish overturn on a Safarian Jenkins touchdown call. So this team that went 5-10 and 10 when they should have won zero or one games could have won seven or eight, a few more bounces here or there. That's not all on the players, not all on the GM. The coach has something to do with that. So the jury's still out on him. Could go either way. But I think it could be finally time that the tide is turning for the Jets with McCagnin, with Darnold, uh, with pl- pieces in place already like Williams and, and uh, Jamal Adams. And, and, you know, I say this very hopefully – uh, but I think they're going to be competing in the AFC within the next three to five years. I think outside of three years from now, if not sooner, Brady is gone. And then what? You're looking at a division that the Patriots don't have a quarterback anymore because they traded him to the Niners. The Bills have Josh Allen. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. He was probably one of the quarterbacks I was lowest on in the draft. I don't think that's going to pan out. And the Dolphins have Ryan Tannehill, who's basically a poor man's Alex Smith. So they're there to take the mantle in the AFC East once Brady and Belichick drop it. So three to five years from now, I think that the Jets are going to be a lot more relevant and they're going to be making some playoff runs. All right, so folks, this is Joe Malfa over from TurnOnTheJets.com. You can follow him on Twitter at MalfaJ98. Thanks for so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Lots of good information there. And uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Oh, yeah, for sure. Any, anytime you want to have me on and you want to talk Jets, I don't know uh, – 
I guess exactly during the season how much you'll be talking uh, uh, Jets on this podcast, but for future off seasons where you're doing a tour around the league, or if the Jets trade somebody over to the uh, to the Rams and you need to know uh, everything about him, I'm your guy. That's what I want to hear. All right, <laughs> thanks so much. Yep, thank you. Okay, so before we introduce our next guest, we have to we have to say hello and say thank you to our other sponsors here. Well. The Gold Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and, and like the old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. Sal Martins opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis and has kept the light on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS at 7267. Use the promo code Talk so he knows we sent you and get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Friday, uh, sorry, Saturday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, get Sal a call at 714-894-7267. Folks, a visit to his shop is worth it just to enjoy all the brands and memorabilia there. But Sal also provides an old school experience. It's he just talks trans football, man. If you if you see the movies of all those barbershop things, it's wonderful. Okay, trust me, you won't regret it. He even managed to make my blockhead look somewhat attractive. Our next guest is Dennis Walsh from Keep Pounding Podcast, covering the Carolina Panthers as part of the Riot Report. They call him Den. So Den, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on. I, I, folks, I got to tell you. When we contacted Dan, he was, like, super enthusiastic. Some people are like, uh, and some people are like, yeah. But this guy was, like, super yeah. One of the most, <laughs> it was awesome to get somebody who's really enthusiastic about talking about their team. It's rare. Um, we get that come April and May, and then once the draft's over, folks just want to shut down for a while. But we don't shut down. We talk football. So of course, man. It's, it's glad, I'm glad to, to uh, have that kind of conversation in mind with somebody else who just wants to talk football. So right away, Dan – um, from the outside looking in, the Panthers are a bit confusing. They always seem to have the pieces to dominate, including a starting quarterback as talented like Cam Newton. But something always seems to stop them from taking the next step and winning the Super Bowl. Some referring to things like Newton's inconsistency, receiver issues, you name it. Something always seems to pop up. So what is your take on the, the direction of the Panthers organization? And have they taken the actions needed to finally get over the hump? I totally agree with that. Every year it's something that comes up, whether I hate to use the excuse of injury, but I really do think that was the big one this year. Um, you know, you look at the the Panthers receiving core last year and, you know, four of the top, uh, th- sorry, three of the top four guys uh, in their stats aren't even on the team anymore. And then of course, Greg Olson being hurt was actually the fourth or fifth ranked receiver. So, um, you know, Cam going into the playoffs with People like Brenton Burson and Kalen Clay, and you know, you can say what you will about Cam in that playoff game versus the Saints. Um, that's just not going to get it done. So, you know, last year was kind of a tough one to kind of gauge, but yeah, we, we we joke about it all the time. You know, the Panthers are a team that will will beat the teams they shouldn't and lose to uh, beat the teams they shouldn't and lose to the teams they shouldn't. Kind of saw that last year. You know, going into New England and beating the Patriots and then losing to the Bears. You know, so. Kind of a tough team to gauge, but yeah, you know, this year as far as the offseason and the draft, we have a lot to be excited for. We, we really have a new team. I mean, from from the coaching to everyone, I mean, we have a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, a new owner um, just on the you know executive side, but also the team itself finally parting ways with Jonathan Stewart. 
uh, picking up C.J. Anderson, which we're all pumped about. Um, and, you know, it, it was really a uh, an offseason of finally getting Cam some weapons. And like you said, right now on paper, everyone here in, you know, Charlotte is pretty pretty enthusiastic about the season. But we, we really got to see these guys on the field first. Okay, well, well, explain a couple things for us here. Jerry Richardson, is he officially no longer the owner? I mean, we're on the outside looking in. What's the story of the ownership there? Yes. So just this week, actually, David Tepper, who uh, was a minority owner for the Steelers, has purchased the team technically. Um, It does have to pass the owner meeting in Atlanta, I believe, which is – I don't have the exact date, but coming up in a few weeks, which it's expected to pass unanimously. uh, But, uh, you know, before we can put the final – signature on that um it does have to go through that process but it does look like david tepper billionaire hedge fund owner has purchased the team for 2.275 2.275 billion dollars which is actually the a record for a sale in u.s sports so um kind of, yeah exactly all, all, straight cash too so you know <laughs> that's nice all right so that's that's resolved so Coming into this and, and last season and so on and so forth, how did the Panthers handle all the distractions that came from Jerry Richardson's issues? And, well, really, were they even a distraction at all for the team? You know, J- Jerry's kind of been the guy that's kind of lurked in the shadows. He was never a face of the Panthers, really. I mean, you've heard about him. You'd see photos of him. You'd see, you know, things that he said. But he was never a guy that was media accessible. So even from the team themselves, you know, they'll – they actually came out and said during the whole process that, you know, they've only dealt with Jerry a few times. I mean, even Greg Olson being kind of a veteran said that the only times he's really, you know, met and dealt with Jerry Richardson was on, you know, contract uh, extensions or offers. And then the, the one time that he flew Greg's family out to Boston for um, Greg's son's heart surgery. But besides that, he really had no you know, obviously those are positive stories. So that that's kind of his experience of Jerry Richardson. So you could see it was kind of tough for the even the players to even to talk in a negative way about him. I'm not not saying what Jerry did was right, but what I'm saying is the players really didn't really know this guy that well. And a lot of times the only time they did know him is when, you know, he was giving them money. So um they were kind of put in an awkward spot to talk about the uh the allegations and all. Now with Richardson being by let's let's walk that way. By the way, with what he tried to pull in Los Angeles, I can tell you the fans out here aren't sad to see him go. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. I mean, the fans yeah. I hear saw him try to keep the Rams from coming back and try to mm-hmm. use his power in the league to do so. So it's kind of fitting to us to see him lose that power and lose it in well spectacular manner. Just yeah. It, it it was a, a tough way to go out as far as a, a personal exit from the team. But I, I can tell you a lot of uh, a lot of people in in Panthers fans really have no real opinion on him. And and if any, it's it's actually negative at this point. Uh, you know, we're actually happy to see him go. It it was kind of a, a a dark shadow over the team. Obviously, you don't want to have a team go through that. But you know, a, a lot of a lot of things over the years have kind of been frowned upon you know some of the moves he made and especially like like you said other teams um haven't been a big fan of him either and then for this to come out i think that was just that was it for him and, and it was time to sell the team and and we're all we're, we're actually happy we're, we're we're pretty um optimistic about you know david tepper is pretty as far as a an, an owner we actually had a 
interview this week with someone that knows David Tepper very well. And, and he's a very opposite guy to Jerry Richardson as far as um, kind of media accessible and, and, you know, someone that the fans can actually like and, and get to know versus just an old guy that's rich and owns your team that you never hear from. So on the football side of things here, when it comes to the Panthers, there has been another question mark over the years, and it seemed to have kind of lingered in the background now that the Rams have moved and the, and the Chargers are now moved from San Diego to Los Angeles. Is there any real reason to think the Panthers could move? I, I've always thought it was a BS thing. I thought that was something that was being used in the news to try and drum up stuff. I don't see it happening. But let's lay it to rest for those who aren't as familiar with the organization. Is there any chance this team could move down the line? You know, that is a worry, and, and that, that came up actually in this whole process was, you know, the Panthers are actually signed uh, to be in Charlotte just through this year. Uh, Tepper's, one of his first things he said was he has all intentions of keeping the team in Charlotte. But, you know, if the if the Panthers did ever move, I don't know if this is technically considered a move. It's I don't I don't think it's possible, but it's it's it is a possibility that they would move more towards the South Carolina side of it, but basically just move up, move out of Charlotte and not move too far, more or less move the stadium versus moving the city completely. That has been something that's been talked about. But as far as Charlotte, the city, I mean, it, it's it, it's such a huge sports city. And I really think the NFL personally what wants to keep a team in Charlotte. I, I don't I don't really know David Tepper that well. He's come out and said he wants to keep the team in Charlotte. But we've heard a lot of owners say things and, and do the opposite. So, you know, there is that kind of lingering possibility, and we're all kind of hoping it doesn't happen. Like I said, the only thing I think would be more likely to happen is them to move to become more of kind of a two-states thing versus just being in Charlotte. All right, so the actual in the actual football matters now. The team uh, heads into free agency. They make some moves. You kind of hinted at it earlier when you, you, know, you were talking very positively about what they were doing. So let's just flush it out. How do you feel about the Panthers' moves in free agency, and do they add enough pieces to fix some of those holes or weaknesses on the roster? I, I do. I do think they they addressed a lot of the holes. I mean, one of the biggest hole, and it's not kind of the the you know the funnest one to talk about. Um, Andrew Noel. As far as the Panthers, you know, you, you very rarely see pressure come up the middle on them. I mean, obviously, we all watch Super Bowl 50. No one could even contain Von Miller on the end. With Matt Khalil on the left tackle, it's uh, I, that's a whole different story. But you know that that hole with Andrew Norwell being in the middle now is a concern. Um, letting a you know Pro Bowl guard, one of the highest paid guards now in the NFL, go with really no replacement for him. Um, they didn't really address that in the draft or in free agency. They did bring in Jeremiah Searles from the Vikings. Definitely kind of a drop-off there. But, but you know, one thing about Andrew Norwell is he was an undrafted free agent. A lot of people don't know that. People like also Josh Norman, who's now obviously not on the Panthers, was a fifth-round pick. We can talk about the whole Tom Brady thing. So the Panthers have kind of been in that, that whole campaign of you don't necessarily have to draft the highest guard. You know, these guys can be found. It's a little bit of a risk. But that's kind of one of the holes I would say is – is making Panthers fans a little nervous. They did bring in undrafted free agent Brendan Mahan, who Marty Herney loves, kind of his guy. And at Penn State, he played tackle, guard, and center, and uh, actually played multiple positions in, in games. 
So there's a lot of unsureness on the offensive line, of course, with Ryan Khalil leaving as well mm-hmm. next year. So that's kind of the negative side of it. But, you know, I was actually looking at the Rams kind of draft in, in your offseason. And, you know, it's kind of the opposite. You know, I, I, the Rams didn't really need any playmakers. You know, they, they went and I think they drafted three or four offensive linemen, right? Yeah. And, you know, as far as us, you know, you look at, the Panthers, you know, obviously taking DJ Moore. We, we do need weapons. Cam, Cam needs weapons. <laughs> here, in, here in Carolina, we, you know, we, we die on the hill of saying Cam's never really had good receivers. And, you know, you, you can point out one or two over the years, of course, Steve Smith. But finally this year, I think, I think the Panthers went out and really did Cam a favor, you know, getting DJ Moore. Torrey Smith, as far as just being a veteran, um, the, whole, the whole Panthers depth chart for the last two or three years has been very young. Like very young, just in, and I'd always thought you needed a veteran in there. I, I'm a, I, I won't even get into my obsession with Anquan Bolden and that uh, that me wanting them to go for him a few years ago. But uh, I do think Tory brings in kind of that Jericho Cotri role that they had in that Super Bowl run, which is just kind of more of a veteran figure to kind of I think keep everyone in line. And and you know like I said that that does kind of give a give Cam the weapons he needs. And one of the things that I was talking about earlier, the Panthers went into the postseason with with a depth chart that was, I'm talking practice squad players. I mean, we we had you know Brent Burson wasn't even playing the 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 first half of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kalen Clay didn't play at all. You know, so some of those receivers were playing their first game with Cam in the playoffs. Uh, of course, them losing Demir Bird, uh, CJ uh, Curtis Samuel. And, and Greg Olson for most of the year. So I think it was a little bit of a little bit of bad luck last year when you take a healthy depth chart and you add DJ Moore to that and you add Torrey Smith to that. I think the Panthers have finally given Cam probably one of the best wide receiver depth charts he's had here in, in, in Carolina. Well, then you that, signed Don Terry Poe, right? Yes. Yeah. As far as the defensive side, um, uh, we're letting Starlo Tulele go. I think Poe is an upgrade. You know, one thing about Star is one of the best run stoppers in the league. But Star very rarely actually got pressure on the quarterback. So, um, you know, and, and some might argue that was, you know, his job was just to kind of take up a bunch of defenders, which he did well. And like I said, one of the best run stoppers. You know, losing, letting him go in free agency um, to the Bills, and which is we call Panthers North now. Because um, <laughs> basically everyone that leaves the Panthers goes to the Bills. But... Um, you know, adding Poe there, I think you do get a lot of what Star gave you with an upgrade in the passing, you know, pass rush. So him and Short coming up the middle and, of course, Peppers and Addison on the ends there of that defensive line is uh, it's it's I, I would say top at least top five in the NFL, probably even a little better. And then, of course, you got people like Keekley Davis out for four games. But in, you know, Shaq Thompson behind them, um, nothing. uh Nothing wrong with that front seven going into uh, 2018 here. Uh, as far as the secondary, though, that that was one of the biggest concerns uh, for everyone. Um, Panthers, you know, picking James Bradbury and Darrell Worley two years ago, I think they both pretty kind of played above their potential in their first rookie year and then mm-hmm. both declined a little bit. Um, Panthers' secondary was trash last year. It was it, most a lot of games were, were given up just from huge big plays. And this year, even losing Kurt Coleman in uh, in free agency, the safety position also took a hit. So that's kind of uh, you know why you saw that double dip on um, on day two there with Dante Jackson from uh, the cornerback from LSU. He's actually the fastest player 
arguably the fastest player in this year's draft and definitely can uh, can talk some game. Uh, they're already calling him the next Josh Norman, which I think is very unfair <laughs> to his playing, but basically just because of his um, his trash talk on the field. If he can back it up, I'm cool with that. And then they also took Rashawn Golden from Tennessee. A lot of people kind of know him as the guy that uh, flipped off the Alabama fans in a, <laughs> in a very famous uh, ESPN photo. But you know, one of th- one of the things about him is, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about them putting him at safety, which is, is just just kind of makes you know Panthers fans a little nervous. He, this guy didn't play safety a lot in college. He can play safety. He calls himself a football player. One of those guys put me on the field and I'll make plays. Um, so definitely some some bright sides. I mean, definitely addressing the right positions in the top three picks. And then, of course, the trade of Daryl Worley um, going to the Eagles for Torrey Smith. And then he ended up actually getting arrested <laughs> and is now on the Raiders. But a lot of people weren't too weren't too happy with letting a rookie value go and, and signing a veteran receiver. You know, I, I do think that hopefully Jackson with, with Bradbury out there. And uh, they actually did go sign Ross Cockrell, too, from the yeah. Giants. So a, kind of a whole new, whole new secondary for the Panthers this year, and, and that was their biggest weakness last year. So I'm 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 optimistic about the moves they made, both in the uh, in kind of the uh, the playmaker speed positions as well as the as the secondary. We'll wrap them all together here, especially the draft. With the draft itself, you guys, I thought you guys did a great job. DJ Moore, Dante Jackson, two solid picks. There are those who thought that Dante Jackson would be taken in the first round. Overall, though, how do you grade this draft? Do you, who are your best picks and your worst picks? I mean, I've seen grades from from C's to A's, and you know, to me, I I, I do think this is a good draft. I mean, I don't want to just give them an A because it's my team. I mean, I think it, it would be kind of around the the A minus B plus with you know with kind of the negative being that they didn't address the offensive line. Which which was one of their biggest holes, but when you have you know when you have some holes that are as bad as the hole that they had in the secondary, then you kind of and then there's kind of that whole you know silver lining on the Andrew Norwell thing is hey listen that guy wasn't drafted what's to say we can't do that again, and um, I think that's kind of where we're at as far as the as far as the the draft grades is the people who are going to grade it on the lower end of things are going to are going to say that they didn't address the offensive line and whether that matters or not, you know, to, to your personal grading, everyone does it differently. Some can say having a faster offense can make you have less of an offensive line. You know, you don't have, if you get the ball out quick enough, you don't need that, that all pro guard there. So as far as the, the speed that they have now with DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, of course, Christian McCaffrey now in his second year, and then just cam in general, um, you know, for me, that makes me wanted that made me want to them to address the secondary more than really just spending one of those top three, four picks on an offensive lineman. The one offensive lineman I kind of was high on was um, Isaiah Wynn, who I'm actually here in Boston, so me, the Patriots has always kind of been a thorn in my side thing, mm-hmm. and they took him the pick before. So I know that North Turner loved DJ Moore, but I do wonder if there would have been a consideration at Isaiah Wynn there. But um, I guess we'll never know that. So I, I, like I said, I'll give them that A minus B plus. I do love the pick of Ian Thomas, the tight end from Indiana. I know he only played 11 games, but Norv and Ron are, are pretty high on him. Kind of not really comparing him 
of course, because he's a rookie, but says saying he, rem, he reminds them of Antonio Gates, just the, the way that he, he runs the routes, that his size is very similar. We've always wanted that two tight end set back here in, in Carolina. Ed Dixon, he, he's an okay guy, but he's not going to give you that year like Cam's rookie year, actually. He had the two tight end set there of, of uh, Olsen and Shockey. And, you know, we, we've always wanted to see that a little more. So I think Ian Thomas has such a high ceiling. Uh, getting him at pick 101 and then another guy um you know the pick next behind him was 136 they went with Marquise Haynes from old old miss and he just he just supplies some explosive speed off the end um you know get a look past this year with Julius Peppers so those two picks are kind of um as far as their ceilings I'm I'm, I'm liking them I obviously I love Dante Jackson I had him on my mock draft and I love DJ Moore so and then they addressed the secondary between those so again, I, I'm I'm optimistic about their draft this year. All right. So how confident are you that Newton can now lead this team to a Super Bowl title? <laughs> pretty I'm, confident. I'm, I'm going pretty. I'm going <laughs> into full question. war. <laughs> you know, the, the problem is the NFC is just so it's so stacked now. I mean, just getting our out of our division is a battle in itself. I mean, the, the Saints and the Falcons are just. They, they all, all what was they? Well, they all have eleven wins last year, maybe yep, ten wins from sure the Falcons. Did. So I mean, that's it's tough. I mean, the 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 gauntlet of getting out of the NFC South is, like I said, had actually depleted this team pretty much from from um you know from when they got into the playoffs going into that Saints game, which Cam I, I don't know kind of reminded me of LeBron James in Game Two. Cam has almost four hundred yards. Should have had like four touchdowns, and, and you know they still can't get it done. And uh, due to dropped touchdown from Kalen Clay, missed field goal. It's it's almost like it's it's tough to get everyone on the same page sometimes. So as long as as long as this dip, this wide receiver depth chart can stay healthy, and you know I think one of the under the radar things I mentioned earlier about the off season was C.J. Anderson. As far as the money they got him for, and as far as his production lately. You could almost argue that that's an upgrade over Jonathan Stewart, and you know him him taking kind of that short that short yardage gain roll off McCaffrey. McCaffrey's not going to be the the guy running up the middle. I mean, Christian McCaffrey was the Panthers' leading receiver last year, so still you know needing to pound the rock there. Cam leading the team last year in rushing, of course, but with all the pieces in place and without hitting a you know a depleted depth chart of weapons for Cam to throw to. You know, I, I I do think they have a shot this year, really, to go pretty deep into the playoffs. The safety position is kind of scary, but really, that's in obviously the Nor- Norwell, like I talked about. But really, this is a um, a pretty similar team to last year, with a few upgrades and, and a lot more speed. All right, so you weren't exactly ready to go to Super Bowl title, but you just mentioned how this conference is stacked. And by the way, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say this. I think that any one of the top four teams in the NFC will beat the AFC right now. Maybe yeah. top five. I think that it's that deep. And, and the Falcons had 10 wins last year and got all the way to what? The, was it the AFC? Was it the NFC channel? No, sorry, the NFC uh, division playoff. Right. They gave Philadelphia a run for their money. I just... It arguably should have run. Should have won that game. They, they arguably, yeah. And, I mean, uh, they I, it was they had they had a first down. I think it was a first and goal from inside the five, and they they passed the ball three times. I it, mean, and that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound familiar. So, where are we putting the pecking order? Where are the Panthers in that stack NFC 
heck, where are they in the NFC South? I mean, that that's that's the first question. Is is you know, right now, I I, I don't think you can put the Panthers above the Saints, at least off, just off last year's performance. I mean, obviously, they the Saints beat them three times. You know, I I do think that we're a team that that could be better than the Falcons. I mean, look at well, actually we've taken Poe from them, a kind of addition by subtraction. You know, I, I think that the the obviously the biggest thing with the Falcons is is their 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 passing attack versus our secondary is such a mismatch. So how do you how do you manage that defensively? Um, and, and last year with Steve Wilkes, the uh, our previous defensive coordinator, you know he he sent Luke Kuechly on a blitz a lot last year, and that's really probably the the worst thing that we can be doing with with the way that Luke can cover. And we got beat pretty bad on that last year. So with Eric Washington running the defense this year, we're we're hoping that we we blitz less. I guess when you look at the Falcons, though, I mean, if you got Julio versus some rookie, you know, DBs out there, maybe the blitz is the way to go. So kind of a high risk, high reward defense. And um, sometimes it works against Atlanta, sometimes it doesn't. But of course, they did add Calvin Ridley. Yeah, this- I was just about to say that. Um, so that's always kind of been our thorn with the uh, with the Falcons is just that's literally that matchup. They're their wide receivers versus our secondary. Whereas the Saints, it's a little different. The Saints kind of have a little bit of everything. You know that backfield. You get obviously Drew Brees. Their receivers are great, but it's not as um, I don't know. I just feel like it, it's it's a little more difficult now for the Panthers to kind of figure out the the Saints defensively, where you kind of know what you're getting with the Falcons. But um, so I, I I'll put the Panthers in a close second place behind the Saints. As far as the NFC as a whole, I mean, look at last year, you know, you you're, you're some of the top teams in the in in their divisions were, you know, getting getting wild cards barely. You know, three teams, I mean, from the NFC South of of course making the playoffs. I don't know. I so so I I think the the Panthers would be another wild card team this year if they did make I, I don't think that they'll win the division if if that's I guess that's the way to answer your question, but they, I think they they can make the playoffs as long as they can have that record that they did last year. And um, I'll probably put them in that that fifth or sixth ranking again for the going this year as far as the NFC. We do, we will see what we can get with uh, Philadelphia this year. So I don't I don't know how they're going to be, but we do uh, we do head to their house earlier in the season. So we'll uh, I guess we'll we'll we'll, we'll go up against. You'll see how that goes games. real quick. Yeah, exactly. But of course, you know, put the Rams up there as well. All these teams just have speed and and really the thing about the NFC now is that it used to be such a defensive league where now it's just high powered offenses. And, you know, I I'm not so much worried about our lack of scoring versus our just lack of being able to stop the other team scoring. So it is more a defensive thing. Granted, how uh, how I just mentioned how good our front seven is. It's really going to be a team effort out there to uh, to stop some of these these uh, offensive masterminds like. Like the Rams and and the Saints and uh, and I guess you could put the Falcons up there too. I mean, did that the NFC made that switch because they had to. You know, you know, you started seeing the the Colts under Peyton Manning. Then he goes to Denver. He's lighting up. You know, Andrew Lux in, in Indianapolis lighting up for a while. Tom Brady. You had a lot of high powered offense in the AFC. And if you want to win in the NFC in the Super Bowl, you have to figure that out. So now all of a sudden you have teams like the Rams, the Saints, the Falcons. Although the Falcons were a little bit off last year. Pilot on the offense. We can't forget about Green Bay either. No, nope. Jimmy and, Graham now too. And they're they should, they should be back next year. We think if Aaron, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy. So, I, you know, I, it may be even six deep. I am seriously sold on the idea that pretty much almost any playoff to the NFC is going to be better than the NFC this year. I really believe that. 
they're just so loaded and so talented. I can't see how the sixth seed or the fifth seed in the AFC would be able to compare with anybody coming out of the NFC. I agree with that. And and we were talking about the whole NF, NFC AFC switch. It's actually ironic and of course very sad for me that you know one of the the high powered Panthers offenses was just literally shut down by uh, by a Broncos you know AFC defense. So it is almost like the the conferences have switched here, which is which is funny. Yeah, and you do know the the AFC defense that was uh, that was Wade Phillips. That's our guy now. There, yeah. there you go. Yeah. And so, and, and that we when we talked to Texans, the Texans were like, "Well, has has Phillips been picking players over there? Because if he's picking players, we saw him mess up." And I was sitting there thinking, "But didn't Wade Phillips go to Denver and do what he did?" So uh, we'll, well see. I think that made it a very easy decision for uh, Talib too. So yes. that, that all makes sense. It did. All right, so. We kept you way too long. This was a lot, a lot of information, probably one of the more informative ones we've had thus far. So can you let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so yeah, the Twitter is at Keep Pound Den. Just to kind of explain that real quick, the, the Panthers' motto is Keep Pounding, so, um, which is the, um, inspired by Sam Mills. So uh, my name being Dennis just fits right in there, Keep Pound Den. So Twitter's at Keep Pound Den. Also, I work for the Riot Report. They are at uh, therioterreport.com and at our Riot Report on Twitter. And you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and, uh, and Spotify and, and all that fun stuff. And something tells me we may be talking again at the end of this year. I, <laughs> it's looking that way. We'll see. It's, it's, you know, if, you, if you're mentioning a five or a six seed, I'm thinking the Rams are probably going to be anywhere between a two and a four. So you slot them in there, and all of a sudden these two teams are playing each other. And it almost happened last year. So we'll meet again. You you did do us a uh, a, a fun favor, uh, taking down the Saints, and they they are on your schedule this year. So in New Orleans. Yes, I can tell you that we'll be behind you there. And and actually, real quick, I, when I was down at the draft, the Panthers section was seated next to the Rams. Like, or actually, no, the Rams are behind us. My favorite group of fans, by the way, at the draft was the Rams. You guys have some uh, some pretty funny chants and uh, <laughs> and some uh, some fun beef with the Seahawks and uh, that was pretty entertaining for us to watch. So I want to throw that out there. Well, yeah. what, what did you expect? That they didn't do anything for like two two and a half rounds, almost three rounds. They true, just, true. What were they, they gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> no, the Seahawks fans. Um, oh man, it, you you should have seen how things went when the Rams beat the Seahawks this last year the way they did. Oh boy. From what I saw at the draft, I can imagine. <laughs> oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. All right. So, folks, it's Dennis Walsh at Keep Pound Den. Again, at Keep Pound Den on Twitter. Give him a follow, and I really believe we'll be talking to him again come playoff time. Dennis, thanks for coming on. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Two great guests with Joe Malfa, TurnTheJets.com, also. Dennis Walsh from the Keep Pounding podcast covering the Panthers. Folks, just uh, really want to thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. Don't forget to look up our group, the Rams Talk Room, that kind of deals with the whole algorithm changes, which buried us at some points on Facebook. Thanks a lot, Facebook. Really appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at DCApava. Don't forget it's on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, IEBeatRadio.com. For the entire Rams Talk crew, this is Derek C. Paul. Take it easy.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.